Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, hello there again. <clears throat> it's great to chat with you. Belly up to the bar. Let's talk football. It is Friday about noon here, Eastern Time. And I only watched one game last night, and it was Steelers and Panthers, and it seemed pretty obvious that those two teams did their best to get out of the game unscathed, hurry it up, run the football, get out of there, especially Carolina, who ran the ball all over the Steelers but just couldn't score. Uh, they, they ended up with six field goals on seven attempts. It was not a lot to take out of the game, except for you very much got the feeling that both teams, who consider themselves contenders, rightfully so, just wanted to get out of there. You know, let's not play any of the big dogs. You got to think Carolina, you know, the Steelers don't play till Monday night, so they've got, what, 10 days or something to prepare for their week one game. Carolina has to travel to Denver, you know, next Thursday. So they got a week from the end of their preseason to go to a road trip that not only is... I always feel for the team, <laughs> I guess this would be my first one bullet point today, is I always feel for the opponent on opening night. You know, the, the Super Bowl champ gets the luxury of hosting a game, opening night, Thursday night, everyone in the world's watching, and I think that's an awesome tradition. I think the NFL was really smart to do that. Um, it's a great show. I mean, it, it's, it's a great way to bring the season in with a bang. Um, however, <laughs> you know, a really good team always has to go to the opponent's place that night to make it a great matchup. And that's a rough gig, man. I mean, <laughs> you walk in there as a, as a visitor, especially this year, because I'm a big believer that, that, that most of these players in the league are not quite yet in game shape. That after they play a game or two, 60 minutes every snap. You know, your starting center plays every snap for the entire game. You know, quarterback, offensive line, you know, most of the defensive players play every snap. You know, but in the preseason, they haven't done that. So uh, I think there's a lot of conditioning um, fatigue issues those first couple weeks of the season, particularly if you're, you know, on the road in Miami or on the road in Tampa, and you happen to be Seattle or New England or a northern team, and you know your bodies get used to your surroundings, what you work out in. You go down to those hot climates, and I think that's really difficult on teams. So that's one thing I like to look at early in the schedule. But in this case, what I'm getting to is Carolina. I mean, how many snaps has Cam Newton played? How many snaps has Ryan Khalil played in the preseason. You know, I mean, these guys are in great shape, don't get me wrong, but they just haven't played 60 snaps against a stud opponent since the Super Bowl. And not only is your heart racing like crazy, not like a Super Bowl, but similar. I mean, that first game of the season, every NFL eye in America is on you. You know, adrenaline's up. You're, you're pumping, you know, your blood's pumping harder than it should pregame. Certainly those first series or two of the season. But my point here is the high air in, in Denver. You know, it wouldn't shock me at all 
And, and I wouldn't blame them at all if the fourth quarter doesn't go well at all for the Panthers. You know, so I, I think Rivera has to be aware of those things. And I'm not going to talk about last night's games or even this, this Steeler-Panther game, but it was just something that dawned on me as I was watching that is, you know, if you're preparing your game, your team for a Super Bowl rematch that you know the guys are going to be jumping out of their skin to get a hold of Denver again, and, oh, they got Trevor Simeon now, we're going to crush him. Uh, you know, we got blocked Vaughn Miller. That, you know, so you have all that adrenaline in addition to it being, you know, opening night. And you got to play in the high air where it's really hard to play anyway. There's just not as much oxygen in the air. The Denver, from a fatigue advantage, is massive to me in that game. Does that mean I'm going to take the Broncos? I don't know. I don't. I think Carolina's the better football team, I mean, honestly. And people might be shaking their head at me. Did you watch Super Bowl last year? Yeah, I did. But I, I still think Carolina's a slightly better football team. But that is a big deal to me and something to just to, to keep notice. And, and I always get a kick out of that first game, as everyone does. Next little note I wanted to bring up from last night, and it's not a major one, but it gets me excited, is that Brashad Perryman finally got back on the field. First round pick of the Ravens a year ago. I feel for this guy, and I really, and the point is, I really liked him as a prospect, you know, coming out of school. Yes, he had a lot of refinement to do with route running and the finer points of playing wide receiver. But boy, is he big and strong and fast and explosive and a violent mover. And, you know, I've often been asked, you know, is he the new Tory Smith? You know, is he a lot like Mike Wallace? Yes, that's how I think they envision using him. You know, the deep ball since Flacco arrived is an absolute staple of the Ravens offense. And Harbaugh knows that. And Joe's got a great arm. Uh, I guarantee that they practice getting pass interference calls too. They draw more deep pass interference calls than any team I've ever seen. And that's not just a Steeler fan of me talking. Trust me. Um, So they know what they're doing. They're going to throw the ball deep no matter who their coordinator is. And yes, that is who Perryman is. However, if you're looking at the wide receiver spectrum, if the total beast stud prototype is Julio Jones, Des Bryant, and then there's Mike Wallace as the pure speed skinnier guy, Perryman's closer to the Julio Jones end of the spectrum than he is to Mike Wallace or Torrey Smith even. I mean, that guy is big and powerful and will break tackles and will be... Uh, I I'm, can't wait for him. I'm, I don't know that he's going to have a huge year this year. In reality, this is his rookie season without a ton of practice. But I was just excited to get him back on the field. That is one thing I'm, pr- I'm probably going to do in, in tonight maybe is go back and just watch his snaps. I, th- I think he caught two passes for 20-some yards. But encouraging. So when we talk again on Tuesday, not Monday, happy Labor Day to all. I told you my plans for Labor Day. Tomorrow is my son's 10th birthday, which is bonkers to me. I can't believe he's 10. I was just on Facebook and saw a little picture of, you know, right when I met him, <laughs> right, when, right when he was brand new, me holding him. I can't believe that was only, that was already 10 years ago. But anyways, next time we convene will be Tuesday. Um, between now and then is, and maybe by the time you listen to this, you will have already, you know, this will have already happened, but four o'clock PM on Saturday is the cutdowns. is when every team has to get to 53. And if your favorite team gets to 53 and you see the roster on Saturday night, that doesn't mean that's who they're going to start the, the season with. I mean, there's still waivers and things that will go through there. There could be adjustments. They could add guys from other teams, practice squad thing all needs to get settled out too. But what it brings me to is 
you know, having, having been with teams and seeing how hard these guys work, and I always feel for football players, and, and I get this, this is what they signed up for, that it's a tough gig, you know, that the chances of some of them, they knew the second they got signed, the chances of making their respective NFL teams was very slim. But sometimes I think that there's only so many eyes and so many hours in the day that I very much believe, especially at the quarterback position, that good football players or people that could end up being high-quality NFL players or starting-caliber players or even just, you know, bottom-of-the-roster guys don't get the fair shake. You know, there's just not enough quarterback reps to go around. You know, that 15th defensive back in practice, you know, how many eyes are studying him. And, yeah, his position coach has, is certainly on top of it, but what this brings me down to is I talked yesterday about how philosophically, and I urge you to go back and check that out, that I would love to see the league go expand rosters, go to 17 games, play a neutral site game, and I went into a lot more of that yesterday. But if I was, I've said this many times on the air, if I was king of the world or commissioner of football, one of the first changes I would make on this planet is I would figure out a way to have a minor league system in the NFL. And pattern it much after baseball, hockey, where maybe they play their games every Tuesday. Or maybe they play every other week. But it's a farm system. I mean, it's the baby Jaguars. It's the baby Bucks. You know what I mean? And those guys play against each other within that same division. You know, the Bucks play the baby Saints and the baby Falcons. And you have young coaches down there that are installing your systems and your terminology and you groom players. You know, you, maybe you have a 10-round draft instead of seven. And, and you put those guys down there for a year and let them grow and develop. And you have refs, refs learning at that level. You have more scouts at that level that are learning. You, the coaching would be better. The quarterbacks would be, be better. Okay, we've had this guy in the minors for two years. Time to bring him up and he's going to be our number two Um you know, I don't know the logistics of it, and much like the scheduling, somebody smarter than me would have to figure out all those things. But again, I'm going to use my Pittsburgh references. Okay, maybe the minor league team plays in Wheeling, West Virginia, that's about an hour away. You know, somewhere close, you make the call, say, hey, we need your starting center this week. You know, like the Penguins pulling up a goalie. I don't know why that's so unbelievably far-fetched. You know, they try these, you know, Euro, you know NFL Europe and... USF, or not USFL, but some of the other leagues they've tried, well, why not have the NFL fund it and each team be in control of their team? You know, and how many Wheeling fans would quickly become baby Steeler fans? You know what I mean? They would go to every game, especially if they only played eight to ten games a year or something like that. You know, all those kids would get so much more practice time. You know, really develop a minor league, a minor league for every football team. And to me, that doesn't sound outlandish. I've never heard any kind of plan for that to happen. But again, if I was king of the world, I would install a minor league system. And yes, you would get some Crash Davises, you know, the, the guy that's been the starting middle linebacker for the Spokane Seahawks, baby Seahawks. And he's, you know, been there for 10 years and he's never quite good enough to come to the pros. But so what? I mean, he would still be a fan favorite in that town. He'd probably sell a couple uh, Crash Davis jerseys, middle linebackers in Seattle colors. And, you know, obviously it would work out for him. He gets to play football a lot longer in his life. And 
I think those teams would sell beers and hot dogs and pop and, you know, souvenirs to kids and tickets. And maybe they don't all sell out every game, but I bet they would grow in popularity. You know, watch that kid that, boy, remember we used a fifth round pick on him or third round pick on him and he didn't quite work out. Well, he's in the minors now and he's tearing it up. And, you know, I can't wait to get on board with him. And when he goes up next year to the Ravens and he's there starting strong safety, you know. But so there's going to be some nuclear luches too. You know, I mean, there's going to be the guys that come in there that just need their head straight, that have the, the million-dollar arm and the 10-cent head. And it, I think it would be a blast. And I think it would make the game much better at the NFL level, especially quarterbacks and offensive linemen and developing talent like that. So, anyways, that's my tangent. And I always think about that, especially right around final cuts, that instead of having final cuts, you know, teams are looking at their roster right now and trying to trim, what, 15, 20 guys. You just assign them, you know, hey, I'm going to assign them to the minors. Not like, hey, best of luck, see you, maybe we'll call you some other time. You know, you just assign them to the minors. And th- those five offensive linemen go down there and start playing together and develop some chemistry, and they play against a divisional foe. I understand there's a lot of holes in that minor league plan. Don't get me wrong. But the concept there, I think, could be done and done well and done very beneficial for everyone. Talking about cuts, um, trust me, uh, I I have a very good pulse or my hand on the pulse of the entire league. But I am not going to discuss who should be the 53rd or 54th man on the Packers or the Vikings or, you know. And to be quite honest, guy 50 to 55, including the guys didn't quite make it, slash practice squatters, I just don't have time for. So what you do is you go to Locked On Packers, Locked On Vikings, and those guys will talk about the bottom of the rosters. And I'm sure that's going to be a heavy conversation for today's shows after the preseason is over and when they reconvene on Tuesday to see who actually did make it and what other minor moves they're going to make because in the end majority are are minor moves don't get me wrong it's a big deal for the fan base it's a big deal for the coaching staff but you know i i don't have time or the effort to knock all those out but the the locked on network does and the other the guy i want to mention on locked on network is check out Vinny Iyer at locked on fantasy you know you and i talked a little fantasy this week which we're not going to do much of and i have my draft coming up my my redraft and but Vinny's talking every day right now, and this is prime, prime fantasy season, as you guys know. So go check him out, too, on Locked On NFL Fantasy. Um, the last thing I wanted to do today, I'm not sure if it's the last thing, but probably the last thing, is I want to do my award prediction show, and starting with league MVP. It has to be a quarterback. I mean, history has shown us that the MVPs go to quarterbacks. I mean, yes, Adrian Peterson can run for 2,000 yards or whatever. But generally speaking, it's going to a quarterback. So if I'm going to make a prediction, I'm going to take a quarterback. And who would I take? I would take Tom Brady, but he's going to miss the first month. So I don't think he's almost – I think he's almost incapable of winning the award. Thought about Rodgers because I think he's the best quarterback in the league. I think what we saw last year from him is an aberration. But I still have minor doubts about their receiving core. I don't love their scheme. So I can make a very strong case for Rodgers. Don't get me wrong. I could make another case for Newton. You know, I mean, Newton's a league MVP. I can make another case for, for Russell Wilson. You know, he finished the season better than any quarterback in the league last year. It's going to be his team in Seattle. 
I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb here, though, and, and I don't feel confident about this award as I do some of the others, but I'm going to take Drew Brees. I, I, I am worried about the Saints' offensive line. Their offensive line is generally strong. It's something they historically put a lot of capital into, especially since Brees has been there, and part of that's because he's a smaller guy and he needs a clean pocket, especially on the interior, guard to guard. Um, and it hasn't looked good this preseason. But I do think there's good football players on that line. And they actually just extended Max Unger, the center they traded for from Seattle in the Jimmy Graham deal just yesterday, too, gave him three more years. He's a very good player. Left tackle's a very good player. Uh, Pete has struggled. But I think overall this line will come together. But I love their weapons. I love the system. I love Breeze. You know, on a fantasy note, I think he's going to just light it up this year. So... That's a bit of a limb, but I'm taking Drew Brees as the league MVP. And if he can get the Saints at 8-8, eight and 9-7, eight, and seven, he should very much be in the running. I mean, I think the defense is going to be prohibitive with that. Um, because I didn't feel strong about the MVP award, uh, usually the offensive player of the year is basically the same thing as the MVP, and it's kind of weird to me that they award two. But I'm taking Antonio Brown for the Offensive Player of the Year. I mean, I don't think a receiver can win MVP. I mean, it would have to do something unbelievable. But I think Brown's at that level now where he's pretty darn close to uncoverable. I think his target numbers are going to be astronomical. And some of this is me seeing him in person, but he got open at will. I mean, it didn't matter who the Steelers or other people put on him. He's a fantastic football player in the height of his powers. Antonio Brown is my... Offensive Player of the Year. Defensive Player of the Year. This is just basically J.J. Watt's award. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's the best football player on the planet. He's on pace to be, honestly, the best defensive player that's ever lived. I mean, I'm not saying, don't, you know, I think Lawrence Taylor's the best defensive player that ever lived. But if Watt does what he do- has been doing for five more years, I don't know that there's an argument against him as the best defensive player that ever lived. Um, injuries are a bit of a concern with him. I'm not going to pick Watt, though, again, mostly because it's too easy and it's too boring, but I am giving him his props right now. Um, the reason I'm not going to take him is because we just haven't seen him in the preseason. They say he's going to be healthy for week one, but what if he isn't? Still, he wasn't healthy last year, and he was awesome. <laughs> so there's that. But anyways, I'm going to kind of just give somebody credit that I think is on the verge of being that type of player. Not that type of player, not the historically great, but being amongst the... He already is. It's Khalil Mack. You know, and Khalil Mack now has a very strong supporting cast around him in Oakland. I He is clearly the straw that serves the drink. But what if they get Alden Smith back late in the year? And now they have Irvin and already have a good defensive line. The secondary is vastly improved, even though Charles Woodson has moved on. Um, that's a Seahawks-like scheme that they're, you know, that they're going to there. And, and the correlation is very obvious. I've written about it many times. Um, but I think Khalil Mack is destined to win a couple of these awards. He's already a phenomenal player. And J.J. Watt, of course, owns it. Guys like Aaron Donald and Von Miller and you know, obviously are in the equation. Luke Keekley has to be in the equation every year, too. I mean, you have to get stats. That's why I haven't really mentioned the safeties and corners. Um, but I think Max, a 20-sack guy and awesome against the run and can play the pass. I mean, he's a superstar. The easiest choice of these awards is Offensive Rookie of the Year. You can have every Offensive Rookie in the, uh, out there and give me Zeke Elliott, and I love my chances. I mean, I don't know that I have to even have to harp on this. Even with Romo out, 
It might even help him. He's going to get so many touches. He's unbelievably talented. By far the best offensive line in the league. Catches passes. Uh, I mean, he's not... I think Gurley's the better prospect as a runner. I think Peterson was a better prospect. I don't think I ever told you this, but back when Peterson came out was when I was watching... I was at Pitt, I think, or Akron at the time, and watching Recruiting Kate for a living. And I got a hold of one of his highlight tapes. And of all the kids coming out of school that I've ever seen, Adrian Peterson's probably was the one guy I looked at above all else and thought, at 17 years old, you know, go his senior year of high school, he might not need to go to college. He might be able just to go right to the NFL. I mean, he was that unbelievable. And, and remember, that was a while ago. And he was, he, Peter, I don't know why I'm getting on this Peterson tangent, but you know that, that, that island where all the wild horses run free, whoever the biggest, baddest horse is on that island, if you were in jar- charge of chasing him down, tackling him to the ground before he gets 100 yards, that's what I feel like Adrian Peterson is. Just a wild stallion with violence and beauty and power, and I think he's an all-time great as well. But anyways, Ezekiel Elliott's going to win the Offensive Rookie of the Year. I-, I don't even know who number two is on my list. Again, you can have the field. I'll take Zeke Elliott. Deal. This next one, I'm kind of dreading. Defensive Rookie of the Year. And much like Defensive MVP, Player of the Year, whatever, you need stats. You know, I mean, it's really hard for a corner. Yes, Marcus Peters won it last year. Generally, this is a linebacker or pass rusher award. So who's, who is that guy this year, though? I mean, I've been racking my brain on this one for a while. And... I remember I wrote an article right after the draft, you know, and they asked me to do my predictions on Defensive Rookie of the Year. And I took Miles Jack, but he looks like a fish out of water. I mean, I think he's going to be fine. And he doesn't really have a clear path to playing time. So I can't go there. I mean, the, the Jacksonville linebackers, if you don't know who Tevin Smith is, you better figure it out. He's a stud. And Pazlozzi's not getting out of the way anytime soon either. Then my next thought, my runner-up was Joey Bosa. And he could win it, but he just got the camp like a minute ago. So, you know, what's he going to do the first month of the season? Does he even know the playbook? I have a hard time voting for him right now. Uh, the Jets' first-round pick, Lee. I mean, he's in a very good position behind a great defensive line, highly protected against, you know, behind a very good defensive line, great athlete. I just don't know that he's a great football player yet. And he hasn't blown me in the way in the preseason. I like Noah Spence a lot. Noah Spence could get... Nine sacks, ten sacks, you know, coming off the bench, rotational. Uh, I think he's a very good pass rusher, but he's not elite. I mean, I can't get super excited about that. Carl Joseph, thought about him. You know, I would think he ends up on Center a fair amount. Big hits. You know, I talked about the Raiders above. He's going to be the Cam Chancellor in the Raiders' defense. So, tackles should be there. Highlight numbers should be there. Okay, you know, but still, he's a safety. Safeties don't have it easy in terms of, when's the last safety to win the Defensive Rookie of the Year? I don't know off the top of my head, just dawned on me. Let me know if you remember. Who's the last safety to win Defensive Rookie of the Year? That's a tough gig. Um, I think Paul Amalu was probably the last safety to win Defensive Player of the Year. And I think it really helps to be a safety like that, that's all over the field, that's going to rush the passer, make plays against the run, big hits. Um and this goes against everything I've said in terms of what you need to win this award for Rookie of the Year. But I think I'm going to go with Hargraves in Tampa. And I mentioned Spence as their second-round pick. I think Tampa found two 
real building blocks in their first two rounds. And I'm basing a lot of this off preseason, but it's also based off how, you know, how well he played at Florida, how good he was in that system too. He's a physical feisty dude that can move very, very well. Um, rookie corners traditionally <clears throat> really, really struggle, but they also get thrown at a lot. And that was the case with Marcus Peters last year, which then gives you opportunities for interceptions, highlight real plays, big hits, tackle numbers. So I'm kind of fudging the system a little bit here too, that maybe he doesn't play quite as well. Like Marcus Peters has a lot of ups and downs last year. There's a reason teams targeted him, not because they were fearing him, because they wanted to see what he was all about. And, you know, Sean Smith was on the other side. He's a good player. So I think Hargraves will get plenty of targets, but I think he's going to be up for the challenge. So that reluctantly is my vote for Defensive Rookie of the Year. Coach of the Year. It could go a lot of directions, obviously. Um, you know, I think Arians should be in the hunt, as always. Although their preseason's been terrible. Again, that doesn't really worry me. But I'm going to be boring here, too. Bill Belichick. Like him, hate him, whatever. He is absolutely on the Mount Rushmore of all-time coaches with guys like Bill Walsh and Paul Brown and, you know, legends of the game. What he's done year after year in New England over his tenure is ridiculous, you know, and really the only constant is him and Tom Brady. I think they're potentially the best team in football. I think they're the best team in the AFC. I think they have another great shot of going to, of course, win their division. Of course they're going to win their division. Of course they're going to win double-digit games, as always, as always. It's funny, people talk about, uh, you know, August 8th as Jeff Fisher Day, you know, because it's 8-8. Eight and eight. Where and then I wrote back on uh, uh, somebody wrote that on eight eight and I said, well, is December fourth Bill Belichick day? I mean, it's just who he is. I mean, he's twelve and four every year. He's eleven five every year. They're in the playoffs every year. They dominate their division. So they will probably be my Super Bowl pick. Um, but there's also this. Let's say that the the Patriots go two and two, three and one, one and three, and I don't think they'll go one and three. I think they'll lose in Arizona maybe lose another, but that's it while Brady's out. Then I think lookout league, and they're going to the playoffs. They may have home field advantage all the way through, and they vote for these awards right after the regular season. So say this, the Patri- Patriots are 11-5 and five with won their division, have a bye. I mean, he didn't have a first-round pick this year and didn't have one of the best quarterbacks that's ever played the game for the first month. It's pretty good coaching. You know, the other thing about Belichick I just want to throw out there that doesn't get talked about enough is the Ravens and the Patriots, and, and I got this through Football Outsiders, who's awesome. Get their almanac right now. If you haven't already, read it cover to cover before the season starts. And it was something I sort of knew, but I didn't realize it was to this extreme. The Ravens and the Patriots, and remember, Harbaugh's a, a former special teams coach, are the only two teams in the league that you can basically just count on year after year for being amongst the best in the league in special teams. There's a lot to be said for that. You know, special teams fluctuate crazily year to year. Not in New England, not in Baltimore. That goes a very, very long way. You know, Belichick does things like, I want a left-footed punter, so whenever he punts it, the ball spins the opposite way, and the punt returner won't be as used to catching that ball. You know, that's a big deal in New England. 
You know, if you go to him with a right-footed punter as a scout, he better be Ray Guy. You know, so that, that's the kind of things he looks at. He's had Vinatieri and Goskowski back-to-back because he values them. He pays them. He drafts them. And he has guys like Jackie Slater's kid. You probably don't even know who Jackie Slater is, some of you guys. You know, that are just demon special teamers. So, obviously, they stress special teams a lot in Baltimore and New England. And it's and in the New England case, it's just one of, you know, 50 reasons why they win double-digit games every year. Um, again, maybe I'm taking the easy way out. But this year, he doesn't have a first-round pick. And he doesn't have his Hall of Fame quarterback for the first four games. And they're still going to be the team to beat. All right, guys, have a happy and safe Labor Day weekend. I plan on having a good time as well. Be hanging out at the, the cabin pretty much the whole time. I probably won't be doing a whole heck of a lot of tweeting in the meantime either. But if you have any suggestions or whatever or feedback on the show, spread the word and get back to me on Twitter. Take care. Napa know It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa auto parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 17